Welcome back. This is a continuation of part one of the science behind a billionaire mind. I hope you enjoy it. When I think about wealth management and advisory, it's a client-sensitive industry and while Mission Wealth has slowly risen to the top, what differentiates you from the others? So there's 17,000 registered investment advisors nationally, and that doesn't count the brokerage firms that are out there. But even out of those 17,000, you know, we're top 200, there's a huge discrepancy between, you know, the bottom of the 17,000 and the top 500. I'd say what really separates us is that we have a more comprehensive suite of services. So a lot of firms out there just charge a fee to just manage money, and they're not talking about their family dynamics. They're not talking about their philanthropy goals. They're not talking about real estate, cash flow, taxes, estate planning. And because we offer a whole suite of services for typically the same fee, clients are saying, well, I'd rather have this firm help me because they have more bench strength. They have more resources. They're doing more things for me and I'm not paying any more for it. Now what's really differentiating us is this life coaching element above and beyond the financial planning that we do. Like I talked about, I run retreats. I'm running a, a women's retreat right now, in fact. And that's gutsy for a 50-year-old man to run a women's retreat. But I have a wonderful co-facilitator woman with me. And we're helping people to design and ignite their third phase of life. So I've talked about framework of life 1.0 is kind of your phase when you figure out who are you? What's your identity? Are you an athlete? Are you a student? Are you a musician? Are you a funny girl? And then you kind of pick your field of study. You start your career, which is where a lot of you are. What am I going to do with my life? That's 2.0. That's when you're maybe going back to grad school, you're starting your career, maybe you're getting married, having kids, getting a house, starting a company, and that's a phase of responsibility. You know, in your mid-20s, kind of through your 40s, you're kind of heads down and you're trying to grow. But then there comes a time when your kids become more independent, maybe they go off to college, you've achieved a lot of what you wanted to professionally, and you start to think about the third phase of life, which is the phase of freedom. And in the third phase of life, you actually are thinking about things like your legacy, or I've always wanted to learn to play guitar. I've always wanted to go to Bali. I've always wanted to develop a, a closer friendship with my siblings. So in life 3.0, you think about these other uh, more holistic factors of life. And so many people I've met get stuck at like 2.8. So much of their identity is caught up in being a parent, being a business owner, being a, an advisor, whatever their job is. And so I've developed a curriculum to help people design and ignite and take that leap from 2.8 into 3.0 so they can have a more joyful, meaningful, purposeful 3.0 phase of life. And so right now, you know, we're doing retreats and we're running virtual programs for executives, for women, for all different types of groups. And that's something that other firms just aren't doing. So that's like an example of a differentiator of how we're helping to coach clients to have more purpose and meaning in their lives. And yet we're a wealth management company. I have never heard of a financial advisor taking on so much of a responsibility in their lives with their clients. I think it really goes to show how success in the service industry is all about going above and beyond for your clients. Moving on to a little technical part of finance. Why is asset allocation important? Well, most of your return, over 91% of return in investment comes from the asset allocation. So people think it's about timing the market. Did I get in on the best day or the worst day? Or they think it's about picking the very best mutual fund or the best stock. And what matters most is were you in stocks at all? Or were you in real estate? Or were you in international stocks? Or were you in bonds? So the asset allocation, which means the mix of stocks, bonds, real estate alternatives, uh, is really the most important factor because it drives 91% of your return over time. I've heard this 
all my life. Diversification and asset allocation allows one to take advantage of multiple industries and asset classes. One thing you've talked about in your previous interviews is redefining wealth. What does that mean? Well, I think what it means is, you know, we're taught that wealth is about the money you have. How big is your bank account or 401k account? How big is your home? And if someone has a big home and a big bank account, well, then they're wealthy. But I'll ask you, Ananya, if someone has, they're worth $100 million, but they can't climb up two flights of steps without being winded because they're so out of shape. And at night, they have so much anxiety, they cannot fall asleep without taking sleeping pills. And if they haven't been to their kids' soccer practice or soccer games because they're always working late, is that person wealthy? No. Even if they're worth $100 million, if they don't have relationships, if they're not healthy, if they, they have anxiety, if they can't sleep, are they really wealthy? You know, so for me, redefining wealth is like redefining what really matters. Life is precious. It's a precious gift. So how are we living in alignment with the values that we hold most dear? Are we spending time with those we love? Are we making a difference in the way we want to make a difference? If we're working, are we working somewhere we feel appreciated, doing work that we feel is meaningful? That's what matters. And that's what true success really is. I think I stand corrected. If you would have asked me the exact same question, if I wasn't put on the spot, I would have said, yeah, they're so wealthy. But that does put things into a lot more of a different perspective and makes you actually rethink things. You spoke about anxiety. So you had severe anxiety, especially with public speaking. I think before the talk you had, you had a major panic attack. How did you turn that into your greatest gift? Oh, yeah. That was such a big pivot point for me in my life because I was giving this big talk for this national partnership and it was a normal morning, right? I had my lucky suit on. I was listening to some fun music. I, I jogged that morning. I was ready to go crush this thing. I had my A game, ready to go do it. Like when you take a big test, you're like, I got this. And as I was being introduced at the auditorium, all of a sudden I felt like I was like watching myself and I became hyper aware and my chest started to feel tight and my breath became like heavy and I literally couldn't speak. And when they handed me the microphone, I couldn't even talk. And so I gave the microphone back to the person who introduced me. I ran off the stage and I saw the front door and I was ready to just like sprint out that building and just keep running because my fight or flight, you know, stimulus was going. But luckily I went to the bathroom and I splashed some water in my face. And I remember looking my soul in the eyes and I was like, Seth, get your shit together. You know, I kind of like scolded myself. And then somehow I mustered the courage to go back out in the auditorium. They had a glass of water for me and I took a sip of water and then I slowly started talking and I got my voice back and I was able to give the presentation and it actually went pretty well. And one of my good friends now was in the room that day and I said, do you remember when I gave that presentation? What was that like for you? He goes, what do you mean? I go, the beginning, like when I freaked out. He goes, oh, I thought you just had a frog in your throat. I thought you just had a cold. I'm like, no, I was freaking out. He didn't even know the pain I was going through. So after that experience, I ended up having a lot of fear around speaking uh, for about six months. And so I dove into research and reading and podcasts and learning about like, how can I overcome this? And it was really a gateway to me starting to live more of a spiritual life and me realizing that I am not worthy based on my productivity. I'm worthy based on coming from a place of contribution. And I shifted my whole kind of mind frame and I went to India and studied. I studied Eckhart Tolle. I read a bunch of books. Like I dove into personal development and I grew so much during that period of time. I would never change it for the world. 
And I'll tell you something, at that time, I was so afraid of speaking even to two people. I wrote down in my journal, I go, what would be the scariest thing I could think of as like a big, hairy, audacious goal that I could somehow reach toward? And my goal was, one day I'll give a TED Talk. And I just wrote it in my journal. And then 2016, as serendipity works, I didn't ask for anything other than in my journal five years before, the TED organization reached out and said, Seth, would you like to give a TED Talk? I'm like, oh my God. Now I, was, now I was really nervous, right? Because that's like a live talk that you can't, I encourage you to check it out. Anyone who's watching this, uh, you can just say Seth Streeter TED Talk. And I had that opportunity and I looked my fear in the face and I gave a talk and um, I overcame my fear. It's still something I have humility about. I know it's, there's always some anxiety, but I am more motivated to make a contribution in the world. So I face my fear so I can make a bigger difference instead of living in a shadow of myself and staying safe. That's not how we're meant to live. That's bizarre. I really look up to how you molded this huge fear that you have and made it something that you love. For me, public speaking is a huge fear too. I feel extremely anxious whenever I see large crowds. And while I haven't gone through the same experience as you, I try and avoid it as much as possible. But I guess one step forward would definitely be trying to put myself in a position where I can talk to people in like a large crowd. Have you had any noteworthy mentors who've actually guided you through the process of Mission World? I've always sought mentors. I think that's really some of the best advice I would give to you and your peers is people love to help. People love to help young people. So, you know, even if there's no job, go have informational interviews. Look up anyone you respect and say, could I have 20 minutes of your time? I'm really passionate about what you're doing. And I would love to just understand what motivates you. And a, a great question to ask is, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? You know, so go speak to someone and say, what advice would you give to your 18-year-old self, your 20-year-old self? And they will give you amazing insights. And that's something that I definitely did. I had wonderful mentors who helped uh, shape who I am. And I still seek out mentors. I'm always looking to grow. We're never done growing. So, you know, brush your teeth with the opposite hand. It feels unfamiliar, but you build new neural pathways. I'm always trying to go left when maybe my familiarity says go right. Because I know when you go to the less uh, familiar path, that's where there's more growth. So just choose growth and mentors are a great way to help guide you on that growth. That's some amazing advice. A question I often hear from people is, how do you go about finding a mentor and actually developing a strong relationship with them? So I have multiple mentors. So I would be involved in a group. So I joined a lot of groups, especially when I was young. So uh, kind of funny, I was part of an athletic club and they had a business networking group. And I thought, oh, that'll be interesting. I was 21 years old. I had just started my career. And so I joined this business networking group. I saw the flyer at the gym and I didn't realize it was a Jewish network group. And I'm not Jewish. And I showed up at the first day of the meeting and people were super nice. And so I just didn't say anything. And I just like started to contribute. And I was voted president my second year at age 23. And I told them, I said, you guys, you know, you guys know that I'm not Jewish, right? And they said, yeah, but it's fine. You're great. You know, just keep doing it. And so I would just say, be brave, join groups and find ways to contribute, like speak up, like you taking the initiative to start this interview podcast program, I think is beautiful. And you're going to meet fascinating people and you're going to open up your network and you're going to be able to find people that can be your mentor. So just lean into opportunities and be brave and bold to ask for support. I'll definitely keep that in mind. I think being brave and seeking out opportunities is such a good idea. 
One thing you constantly talk about is growth and changing. How do you develop a growth mindset? And what is a growth mindset? So a growth mindset is when you're always curious. You're not rigid. You're flexible. You're open to there being other ways of doing things that might be very different than yours, but still could be positive. So a growth mindset is where you're committed to always adapting to what's changing out there. And you're also open to not always having the answers and having the right way of doing things. So it's, it's the opposite of rigidity. And it's someone who's saying, I just want to be my best self. So a game I play is when I'm on an airplane, haven't been on those in a while, or a bus or a park bench, and there's someone next to me, right? And maybe they look a little weird or smelly, or you're like, ah, I don't want to talk to this person. Play the game that this person has mastery in something that you can learn from. And your job is to extract the gift of mastery that they have. So you're sitting next to someone on the plane, instead of just putting your earbuds in and playing a video game or you know, looking at your social media, go, this person next to me has mastery and I have an opportunity to be able to learn from him or her. It's almost like the red thread. Maybe the red thread puts you next to that woman for a reason because you are meant to speak to her and extract that mastery from her. So that's a growth mindset saying there's always an opportunity wherever I am. Even when I get a roadblock, I assume it happened for a reason and I was meant to go a different way. So it's kind of like a, a, a faith. It's like you're trusting the world is here to support you, but yet you're also putting yourself in positions that allows you to keep benefiting from them. That's an interesting approach that I haven't tried before. I recently read this article where the author talks about how you, when you walk into a room, your first instinct when it's an unfamiliar space is to look for familiar people and gravitate towards them because they're a part of your comfort zone. And the more that you stay within your comfort zone and engage with people you already know, you just become more comfortable in being yourself. And that sounds like a good thing, but, but the end result of that is that you just confine yourself and you don't end up growing in the process. You strongly believe that everyone has the ability and the capacity to be successful but they are unable to tap into it. How can someone change that? Oh man, I cannot tell you how many people are not tapping into their genius. So many people are not tapping into their genius. And even people you look at and say, oh my gosh, she's an incredible doctor. He's a successful attorney. Oh, this business leader. I work with CEOs from around the world. I lead retreats for CEOs from around the world. And I've had these CEOs tell me, yeah, I do this, but my passion is that. I would love to learn how to do this. So I would say the way to tap, tap into your mastery is to be willing to go down an uncharted path. There's a great book by Gay Hendricks uh, called The Leap. And he talks about these four levels of life. You have your levels of incompetence, doing things you're not good at, no one wants to do that. Your levels of competence, okay, you're good at what you do. Your level of excellence and your level of genius. Most people in a professional realm work up to a level of excellence, right? You do something, you're really good at it, you get paid for it. Maybe you're an architect or a doctor or a teacher, and most people stay there. But some of us get a calling to go to this new realm of genius. And in that new realm of genius, it's undefined. There's no set playlist for how it's supposed to work. There maybe isn't a set job path. And your friends will say, why can't you just be happy on you know, staying in your level of excellence? You're getting paid, you're good at it. But again, you have this nudge or this calling that's almost forcing you to take the leap to go try to find this place of genius. So I would just say when you're nudged to take the leap to a place of genius, leap. 
Don't just stay comfortable in an area of excellence where you might be getting paid, you might be getting out of boys or out of girls. That's not what your calling is. Your calling is to take the leap to an area of genius. It's kind of like a, a, a boat. If you take a look at all the boats in a harbor, they're super safe, right? Boats in a harbor are safe, but that's not what boats are built for. They're built to go out at sea. And we're not built to stay safe solely in our area of excellence. We're built to go out into our space of genius. I have heard your TED Talk before, and I just want to say that it was well-deserved that you were invited. What are some of your favorite hobbies? And in your interviews, you've mentioned that you make every single day count. How do you do that? I have a lot of passions. I love chocolate chip cookies. Wherever I go, I like to find the best chocolate chip cookie in that city. So if anyone listens to this, has a recommendation for a chocolate chip cookie wherever you live, send me a text or you know, send me something on social media. I would love to know where that cookie is. It's like Don Quixote for windmills. I'm always trying to find the best chocolate chip cookies. Uh, I love to ocean swim. I just went ocean swimming yesterday. I like to do yoga. I like to play with my kids. I like to hike. I love animals. I like being in nature. I'm involved with a lot of community groups. I like being part of community groups. I like to play, you know, I like to have fun and travel to amazing places. So I, I just like to always be available to what's next. And, you know, last year I got to go to Bali and Colombia and Hong Kong and uh, the Caribbean. I got to swim with dolphins in the Caribbean. I always want to find the epic experiences that are out there and go for them. I'm intrigued that you bring up the question, what's next? We've heard this before on my first episode with David C. Herman and how this mindset opens you up for growth and happiness. What would be your number one tip for people my age who are starting to earn money and have no idea what they should do with it? Here's, here's my advice. is It's easy to think about, again, your financial situation as being, oh my gosh, I have school debt. I don't really have any savings. I don't have a job. I don't know if I'm going to get a job. You know, it, it can feel kind of depleting, right? To go, gosh, I don't know what I'm going to do with my life. Everyone asks you, oh, you're graduating college. What are you going to do next? I don't know, maybe go to grad school because it buys you, you know, two to four more years. Uh, my advice is to know that your largest asset isn't anything financial. Your largest asset is the, are these gifts and skills within you that are waiting to ignite into the world. So know that you are a huge asset and forward-thinking companies and organizations would love to have young people like you on their team. You have so much to contribute when you find that pathway that is something you truly believe in. Go out there and make those connections because you're a huge asset to them. They want young people like you who are passionate and capable to go help take their organizations to the next level. So don't think of yourself as being depleted. Think of yourself as being the huge treasure chest that these organizations would be lucky to have on board. Okay. And do you, do you think our generation just needs like a cultural shift in the way they look at money or think about money? I think the wake up call has already happened. So, you know, it used to be maybe your parents' generation, they would go get jobs wherever the job was and then they would make their family move there and they'd make it work. Well, no, you're like, I want to live in this place and I want to have this lifestyle and I want to have flexibility and I want to travel and I need to find a job that supports that lifestyle I want to have. So you see, that's a big shift from someone who says, I'm just going to go get a job with this steady company and make my family move there and we'll make it work. No, no. You want to make your life work and then find a career that works around your life. So I think that that shift is already happening. And I know that your generation also really cares about working for companies that have more of a, a purpose-based mission. And you want to buy products that are you know, sourced from sustainable materials, 
you're more conscientious, I think, about how you're living and to make sure you're following your values. So I would say just keep that path going forward. Keep living by your values and you're going to find career, a career that works for you. You're going to find people that are aligned with you and you're going to have a lot of fun on that pathway because it's coming from a very natural place. I completely agree. One of the things you mentioned in your previous interviews is that only 10% of your money counts as wealth. What does that mean? We have 11 dimensions of wealth. And yes, one of them is money. And money is important, right? You don't want to go hungry. You want to have a roof over your head. But if you look at those other 10 dimensions of wealth, and if you find ways to deploy your gifts into those dimensions, you're going to actually make more money. If you just go after the money, you're not going to make as much as if you go after all those other dimensions. If you focus on how can I make the biggest impact in the world based on my knowledge, my intellect, my uh, passions, my family connections, everything that you makes you you, then you're going to find a way to make money. Money will follow you when you pursue your path. Don't forget the red thread. On a closing note, for long-term financial success, what would you say is the most important step? The most important step is to pay yourself first and know that you want your money to work for you. You don't want to always just work for money. So even when I started my career and I was making hardly anything, I still would set a little bit aside and pay myself first. So that would be maybe into an IRA plan, you know, saving into a Roth IRA or you know, paying down credit cards, being able to know that whatever you earn, pay yourself a little bit out of whatever you earn. And then that money can be working for you. And then eventually you can be the CEO of your wealth, not just the CEO of a, of a company or working for someone else. You don't want to always be working for someone else. You want your money working for you. And so by paying yourself first, you can allow that money to compound and grow and give you a lot of flexibility and freedom over time. Thank you for sharing that. One of the first books that I read about business was by Robert Kiyosaki, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And he constantly reiterates the fact that money should be working for you and not you constantly having to work for money. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on my podcast, and you are truly such an inspiration. It was my pleasure too. Thank you so much.